Good morning. My name is Emily Schultz, and I'm one of the pastors here in New Denver, if we have not met. I'm so happy to be with you all this morning as we continue in our series called Devoted, a look at the lives of Hannah and Samuel. We know what it means to be devoted to something, but it's the morning, so I will jog your memory. Think about the sports fanatic. A devoted sports fan is someone who is watching their favorite team all season long. They don't miss a game, even when the team is terrible. And they might look something like this. We can all picture the guy at the football game with the crazy wig, the full face paint, or maybe body paint on. He might have a letter on his his little tummy. Oh my goodness, these jean shorts just kill me. Um, I'm a Packer fan by marriage, and so our sports fans look something like this. Um, But before you Broncos fans get all high and mighty on me, just remember, you've got this guy. So there's that. We know what it means to be devoted to something, and it's not just sports. Think about the person who is a super fan of that TV show. Maybe they watch every episode of every season of The Bachelor and then spend their summer break road tripping all the way to Rhode Island, this is oddly specific, to go to a coffee shop owned by some former contestants in hopes of maybe catching a glimpse of them and even snapping a photo. Oh, hey, look, that's Serena Shock from our church. She was at the 8.30 service. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're devoted to something else. Like, if you're a broke college student, you might be devoted to finding all the free food deals available. Maybe you're the kind of person who camps out in a Chick-fil-A parking lot for 24 hours before the grand opening of a new restaurant in order to win free food for a year. And I'll admit, I have been that broke kid before. So this was Norton and Steven and Dan. Pour one out. We were all the pastors of New Denver at the time. This was in 2018. It was cold, hence the penguin onesie. And I was 36 weeks pregnant. So we were devoted. We are all devoted to something. And in fact, we're all devoted to lots of things. You might be devoted to your family, your career, your friends, your schoolwork, That hobby you love, the house you're remodeling, that TV show or book series or band or artist or TikTok creator that you're obsessed with. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be devoted to God above all else. We read this passage last week. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Be devoted to God. Love God wholeheartedly. Last week, we looked at the example of Hannah in the Old Testament. If you missed last Sunday, you can go back and listen to our podcast and get caught up on her story. Or if you'd rather not hear me ugly cry for 20 minutes, then here's it in a nutshell. Hannah was a person who, in a time when everyone was doing whatever they wanted, was completely devoted to God. She was a woman who lived in Israel who was not able to have children, and she cried out to God, begging God to give her a baby, and she said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. I'll give him over to the priest, Eli, and he'll live with Eli and be devoted to a life of of service to you. God answers her request, but Hannah proves her devotion to God through the lows and the highs of her life, and we would all do well to follow her example. She's an inspiration to all of us. But one question that we didn't address last week is why? Why follow Hannah's example? Why be devoted to God? So we'll answer that question today. But first, I want to jump into our passage. We left off last week with 1 Samuel 2, 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. 
The story picks up in chapter 3, verse 1, and says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. This is my two-year-old Bailey's current favorite Bible story. So we've read this story a lot the past few months. And typically on Sundays in the adult service, we read from the NIV, maybe the ESV or the message or another translation. But today we're going to read this story Bailey style from the Rhyme Bible. Because you know what? It gives a pretty good gist of what happened. And plus it rhymes, which is way more fun. Here we go. Samuel listens. Hannah was sad, for she wanted a son. So she went to the temple to pray for one. She promised God if he answered her prayer that her son would serve in the temple there. Cool rhymes. Nine months later, Hannah had a son. She loved her son more than anyone. But while Hannah's son was still just a lad, she took him to the temple with all that he had. The little boy Samuel, for that was his name, learned to help the people whenever they came. Eli would show him exactly what to do, and all the while little Samuel grew. Here's the new part for today. Then one night when bedtime came, he heard old Eli calling his name. He ran to Eli, but Eli said, I did not call. Go back to bed. Then Samuel heard the voice once more, so he ran and knocked on Eli's door. But sleepy Eli shook his head. I did not call. Go back to bed. You have, you have to do that part. You have to do the yawn. When it happened again, old Eli knew, and he told the boy what he should do. Listen, for God is speaking to you. So Samuel listened with all his might and talked with God that very night. Pretty cool, pretty cool. There's maybe a few more details in 1 Samuel chapter 3 if you want to read the full version, but those are the highlights. So let's circle back to our question, why be devoted to God? I would propose this reason. Why be devoted to God? Because God is devoted to us. Did you catch it? What we read this week really isn't about Samuel's devotion to God at all. It's about God's devotion to Israel. Israel is doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And we read that God's voice was rarely heard in this time. And then we get this story. God shows up again, proving that he's faithful. He doesn't discard his people, but is devoted to them. He decides to raise up a new leader in Samuel. We don't really know yet from this story what kind of leader Samuel is going to turn out to be. Will he follow in his mother's footsteps and live his life as one serving the Lord? Or will he be like most people at the time and turn away from God? We'll revisit Samuel next week, but Samuel isn't the main character in the story. God is. God proves his devotion to Israel by the way he initiates a conversation and a relationship with Samuel. Even when God's people had totally forgotten him, God had not forgotten them. He chose to still speak, to keep trying to find someone who would listen He ends up speaking to this child who had ears to hear his voice and the message he was wanting to communicate. Eli, the priest, is the one who you assume God would be speaking to. But at first, he doesn't even recognize God's voice. It's ironic. God shows that he's replacing Eli. He's raising up Samuel instead as the one who will usher Israel into a new era. This child is going to be Israel's future leader and the person through which God relates to his people in this next season. But this story is just one instance, just one glimpse of how God initiates relationship, how he forgives and starts again, how he proves his devotion to his people. He does this over and over and over throughout scripture. If you know anything about Israel's history, you know that they constantly failed as God's people, as his representatives on earth. They failed to be devoted to God in the wilderness. 
They failed to be devoted to God in the time of the judges. We read last week that the book of Judges ends with the verse, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But that makes it sound kind of tame. Like they were eating cookies for breakfast when they should have been drinking green smoothies. It was not tame. It was actually really, really bad. They blew it big time. We're going to read a story from the book of Judges that shows how bad things had really gotten right before Hannah and Samuel stepped on the scene. We have a great kids' ministry, NDC Kids, so if there are kids in the service, uh, I would suggest maybe you take the next five minutes and exit the room, or you can have a a great conversation when you get home, and that's okay, too. Um, Adelaide and Emma, cover your ears. In those days, Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her parents' home, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the woman's father, prevailed on him to stay, so he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. They ended up staying for five days, and then, unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jabus, that is Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. The sun set as they neared Gibeah and Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gibeah, the inhabitants of the place were Benjaminites, came in from his work in the fields. When he looked and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, Where are you going? Where did you come from? He answered, We are on our way from Bethlehem and Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. I have been to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants, me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After that, uh, after they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. So far, this is kind of a nice story of hospitality, right? Brace yourselves. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. The story makes me sick to my stomach. It's horrible, but it's not done yet. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb, into 12 parts, and sent them into all the areas of Israel. 
Everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something, so speak up. Yeah, you don't find that story in the Rhyme Bible. This is one of the most disturbing passages in all of Scripture. It makes me sad, it makes me angry, it makes me want to puke. And what does the story remind us of? It has parallels that would instantly bring to an ancient Israelite's mind who's hearing it, the story of Abraham's nephew Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the kind of thing that happens in wicked pagan nations and cities, not in Israel. That was this man's point in cutting up the dead woman and shipping her in the mail to the 12 tribes. It's a wake-up call across the nation to say, look what we've become. How did this happen here in Israel? Israel knew better. Their job was to live better, to be different, to show the world what God is like, not to rape and murder like everyone else. If there was ever a time when God could have chosen to wipe out the nation and start again with a clean slate, it would have been this. And he would have been totally justified in doing so. They hadn't held up their end of the bargain. They weren't keeping the covenant. Why should he? But God doesn't give up on his people. Even when Israel is no longer devoted to God, God is devoted to Israel. Israel failed to be devoted to God in the time of the judges. But God keeps speaking, keeps working, keeps intervening, keeps forgiving. Hannah and Samuel are this glimmer of hope in this time period that things aren't all bad. God raises up a new leader in Samuel. But then, spoiler alert, Israel fails to be devoted to God again in the time of the kings. In every season, they failed. Again and again, God was faithful, and they were not. God was devoted, his people were not. And don't think this is just a Jewish problem. As followers of Jesus, we've taken up the torch, have we not? Look at our own lives. God is faithful. We are not. If we're honest, we don't deserve God's devotion. We deserve his wrath. Isaiah 53 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. In the time of the judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But this is very much still true for us today, is it not? We are just like Israel. I think most of us try to live good lives that are honoring to God, but whether it's our worst day or we're on our best behavior, we all are still in need of God's grace. And just like God was faithful even to Israel and proved his devotion to them again and again, God is faithfully devoted to us. One of Jesus' best friends, John, writes when he's an old man, we love because he, God, first loved us. We've done nothing to earn or deserve God's love. God doesn't love us because we're so good, because we follow the rules, because we love him or others perfectly. In fact, it's actually the opposite. Even when we mess up or get it wrong or feel unworthy, God is devoted to us. So why be devoted to God? Because God is first devoted to us. If you need some evidence, here you go. This is where we're going to camp out today. God shows his devotion to you in three main ways. God made you. God loves you. God is always with you. I don't know what kind of tapes play through your head. I don't know what messages you grew up hearing that have stuck with you. I don't know what the deepest things are that you believe about yourself or whether or not they're true. But I hope you'll try these tapes on for size, no matter who you are or where you've been, 
what you believe or what you've done. God made you. God loves you. God is always with you. If you have a hard time believing these three truths, you know what you should do? Serving kids ministry. I'm serious. Our toddler preschool room has the goal of helping toddlers internalize these three truths by the time they enter kindergarten. We want kids to know more than anything else, God made you, God loves you, God is always with you. I serve in the baby's room. We have this bookshelf full of books, and all of the books are really just saying the same things over and over, and it's these three truths that we want kids to know. God made you. God loves you. God is always with you. Or listen to our NDC Songs for Kids Spotify playlist, and you'll hear it again. This is what we're trying to get kids to know. God made you. God loves you. God is always with you. It's the first thing we want babies to hear when they're born into this world, when when they start attending our church, when they become part of our community. Over and over, we whisper to their little hearts, God made you, God loves you, God is always with you. But these three truths are not just for kids. I don't think we ever outgrow our need to know and believe in our inmost core that God made us, that he loves us, and that he's always with us. In some ways, the journey of following Jesus is a journey of embracing these three truths more and more. So in case someone hasn't told you lately, allow me to be the one to remind you today. God made you. You were created in his image as a partial reflection of him in this world. God formed you in your mother's womb. He knew the exact date and time when you would be born. He knew the very coordinates of this big earth where you would take your first breath you know, if you would have blue eyes, brown or green, dark skin or light, curly hair or straight. He knew if you'd be short or tall. He knew if you would have an athletic build, curvy thighs, or be one of those frustratingly skinny people who can eat whatever they want and never gain any weight. God made you, and he likes the way he made you. God loves you. If you forget this, just look to Jesus. God gave his son to prove his love. Uh, I wasn't going to cry today. I did that last time. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The so in this verse in Greek doesn't mean God loves you so much that it means in this way God loves you, that he gave his Son. When we forget God's love, we go back to the basics of our faith and remember, I can be confident that God loves me because this is how he showed his love. It's not about this ooey-gooey feeling God gets towards us. He proved his love with an action. He sent his son to die for me, to forgive me of my sins, to bring me back into a right relationship with him. God made you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. God was 100% devoted to you. God made you, God loves you, God is always with you. Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said it's better for him to go back to God rather than to stay on earth with his disciples. Why? Because he would send the Holy Spirit to indwell all those who choose to follow him. When we say God is with us, we mean it. Everywhere we go, in everything we do, as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We have complete and total access to God. He is closer to us than our own breath. He will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from God's love, his grace, or his presence. God is always with you. Friends, hear this today. Why be devoted to God? Because God is devoted to you. 
He's obsessed with you. He's your biggest cheerleader and fan. When you're out in the field playing your sports ball game, God is the guy in the stands with the wig and the face paint body slamming the dude next to him. When you've written a song that you don't think anyone else will ever hear, God is putting it on his favorites list and listening to it on repeat. When you're experimenting in the kitchen, picture God there next to you wearing an apron and a chef's hat saying, oh, the way those spices linger together, it's delicious. Or maybe it's just a typical Tuesday and you're preparing another very simple but nutritious meal and God's there too saying, look at the way you're so faithful every day. That's awesome. When you've climbed that 14er or run the race you've been training for, God is at the finish line holding up a sign saying, I knew you could do it. When you're driving home from another grueling or maybe simply mundane day at work, but you did your part and you acted with integrity, God is cheering you on. He's looking at you and saying, you represented me well today. I'm so proud. When you're at school, God is there as you navigate classes and friendships and all the teenage drama. When you're taking your dog for a walk, God says, thanks for caring for my creation. The way you nurture is a reflection of me. When you've worked out your budget to the penny this month again, or maybe your budget's a mess, but you've been above and beyond generous with your money, God looks at that and says, thank you for being a good steward of the resources that I've given you. He's the guy who's liking every single picture you post on social media, even those deep cuts that you kind of wish wouldn't resurface because what were you doing getting bangs? God looks at you again and again and says, you're beyond beautiful to me. And even on the days when you're impatient, and you lose your cool with your kids or your spouse or your roommate for the hundredth time, God still loves you and says, I forgive you. I'll help you. We're in this together. I've got you. Do you believe this today? God made you. He loves you. He's always with you. He's obsessed with you. God is 100% completely and totally devoted to you. So what would it look like for you to be devoted to him? That's the question we'll come back to next week as we wrap up our series. For now, let's pray. Let's ask God to help the truth of his devotion shimmy down and take root in our hearts a little bit more, a little bit deeper today. Let's proclaim and remind ourselves and one another of this right here. Why be devoted to God? Because God is devoted to you. God, I thank you so much for the way you made us, the care that you took as you crafted each one of us individually. God, I thank you that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you that you're always with us, God. No matter where we go, what we do, on our best days and our worst, you are with us. You don't leave us. You're right by our side. You're cheering us on. We know life is hard, but you are there. So we thank you, God, for these truths. We pray that you will sink them a little bit deeper into our hearts today. You'll replace our old tapes that we play, that we carry around with these new ones. Remind us today, you made us, you love us, you're always with us. You're devoted to us, and help us be devoted to you. Amen.